0: start arguing back and forth. And um, I eventually pull her back in the car. They go and they park at the end of the McDonald's in the parking lot. I could see him right at the end of the drive through. And I'm like, listen, we're just going to get our stuff and we're going to go. I said, don't do anything crazy, please. So the guy at the window, he says, is everything all right? You guys good? I'm like, yeah, everything's fine. We're good. So get our stuff. I go to pull around and just pass them. And as I'm I, pulling by them, I'm looking in my side view mirror. I see them throw a bottle at my car. Instantly, I'm like, it's go time.
1: On today's episode, we have Brandon Schneider, a fellow Connecticut resident, to share his story of childhood trauma and how it led to a troubled life as a young adult, including brandishing a gun at a high school party, which lands him in his first prison stint, and how a fight at the McDonald's parking lot leads to a felony assault charge and multiple years in Connecticut state prisons. I'd like to thank Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal delivery service, for sponsoring Locked In with Ian Bick. Skip all the meal prep hassle and get Factor's delicious, fresh, never-frozen meals delivered to your door. I absolutely love Factor meals and eat them multiple times a week. And with my promo code, You can too. Head to factormeals.com slash lockedin50 and use code lockedin50 to get 50% off. Thank you, everyone, for all the love and the support you give to this podcast week after week. I hope you sit back, relax, and get ready to lock in with Brandon Schneider. And welcome to the show today, man. Pleasure having you. You are another Connecticut guest. We've had quite a few Connecticut guests on the show the last few weeks, and I've been reading some of the comments, and the audience has been loving the Connecticut stories. Um, so, where are you coming uh, to us from today?
0: Uh, from Milford, Connecticut, actually. Um, that's where I was born and raised my whole life. Um, so, yeah.
1: What's Milford like for, for people that aren't from Connecticut?
0: Milford is a pretty diverse town. Um, You know, we're in between New Haven and Bridgeport. Uh, So it's, we have everything there. We have our own mall. It's by the beach. I love it there. Honestly, I'll never leave there. Um, I was born, raised, and that's probably where I'm going to die. They're going (laughs) to bury me there as well. But it's a great, it's a great town, you know. Um, It used to not be as good you know cuz i grew up in the 90s i was born in the 80s so it was a different time back then you know everybody was into partying and whatever you know
1: so how did you guys grow up like whole family parents together upper class lower class middle class
0: i would say we were lower middle class um my so Stepping back into that, that would be, um, you know, my family, we had a lot of, you know, it was a broken home for sure. I uh, I didn't find out my stepfather was my stepfather until I was about eight years old. I always thought he was my real father because um, I found a book that said State of Connecticut on it, and it had my name with my my first name and what was my mother's maiden name on it. And I'm like, what is this? You know? And she's like, well, I didn't really want to tell you. I was going to wait until you were older, but, you know, your father adopted you to, um, his last name. And, you know, that's pretty much how that happened. And, uh, yeah, he, um, He was an abusive dude. He was definitely... Your stepfather
1: was. Oh, yeah. How so?
0: So, it it progressed from when I was younger. Um, From about three years old, I remember coming downstairs to see my grandma to show her my ass because it was black and blue. Like, and then it just got worse over time. I believe because of their relationship, he took a lot of it out on me. Like... Physically, I've been slammed through my back door. Um, the yelling, the all my friends were scared of this dude. Like, no one wanted to come to my house ever. Like, that's how bad it was. But the last straw, like, probably when I was about 15, 16, I remember we came home. Um, I was with my mom and my brother. And we walk in the back door, and you hear this loud hissing sound. So my mom looks at me, and she's like, stay right here. She goes and walks down the hallway into our living room. She comes bolting back out. Get out. Get out now. We run out the house and jumped in the car, and we took off. She told me that he was sitting in there with a propane tank on with a Zippo lighter, ready to blow us up that was the last straw for that
1: did the house blow up
0: no but that's just the
1: psychological
0: psychological man. man being threatened with two baseball bats this dude used to smash up our house like it was crazy
1: did your mom know he was abusing you
0: oh yeah she would <clears throat> it's crazy cuz my mom i love her to death that's my rock but she would try to like push me too to like uh you know go hug him and you know, show affection towards him, like, no, I'm good. I don't want to do that, you know?
1: Looking back on it now that you're older, why do you think women stay in abusive relationships like that, even when their kid's at stake, too? Because now it's not only her well-being, but it's your well-being, too.
0: I feel like she stayed to try to make it work because she wanted her family to be okay, and she thought that maybe it would just kind of roll over and and get better but it never did so yeah
1: that's gotta be tough
0: oh yeah i mean it sucked it made me rebel for sure and that's where i ended up getting into a lot of trouble you know i never wanted to be home i ended up dropping out of school in ninth grade and uh running the streets partying um that's all we did like to do back then, too, you know
1: now, do you think you would have would have had an even worse effect on you if she didn't tell you that that was your real dad um, or wasn't your real dad?
0: do I think it would have had a worse effect on me,
1: yeah, because think that if you didn't find that out and you thought he was your real dad, then you could have
0: maybe it, tried to make it work,
1: or you could have made it in your mind that you became a troubled person because your own biological father was troubled?
0: Well, my actual biological father, um, he committed suicide when I was a year and a half old. Oh, wow. So my mom was married to him, mind you. Um, She left him because he was uh, a raging alcoholic, pretty much. And crazy story, too. My grandfather, years later, uh, committed suicide the same exact way you went parked in front of a train
1: grandfather on your father's side. Do you think that runs in the, like it by a lot, it gets passed down genetically? Oh yeah.
0: Those thoughts could be in my head for sure. I've been there, you know, I've, you know, thought about it and, you know, I've, cause I've been in really rough situations in my life to where I'm like, where am I going with my life? Is my life even worth it to keep going? You know, I've been in those shoes and, You know, and I think of my biological father at the time, like he wasn't strong enough to make it through that. So he ended up, you know, taking the easy way out and, you know.
1: Did you have siblings at all?
0: I have one brother,
1: yes. Were you guys close during this?
0: Yes, very close. Um, It's funny because I was the one that always used to get the beatings, but his father is my stepfather. So we have two separate fathers. Or are you guys half same mother, half, half brothers?
1: Half. Okay, but the same mother.
0: But the same mother. So yes. he's
1: older or younger?
0: Younger. Younger. Okay. Uh, four years.
1: How did he feel about the relationship with your mom and and his father?
0: He is very timid, so a lot of the times he didn't say much. Um, so he pretty much just would run and hide, you know, because I was the one always taking all the, you know abuse the everything
1: were you a shy kid back then
0: i mean i was pretty outgoing i loved being outdoors and running around the neighborhood with my friends we would play manhunt stick wars in the woods like you know i liked being out of the house anything that didn't keep me in the house because i knew i didn't want to be around him and I would always be outside riding my bike, playing sports with all the other neighborhood kids. So, I wasn't a shy kid. I definitely was more outgoing than my brother is. <clears throat>
1: how to make you how to make you feel that your friends didn't want to come over to your house?
0: It sucked. I had some a uh, couple of my friends that um one time I think we were about 14 years old and uh we were smoking weed in my room and we didn't know he was coming home. I heard his <clears throat> I heard his truck pull up. So I said, hide in the closet. They went and hid in the closet and he smelled the weed. So he came right upstairs, threw me across my room onto my bed, and he he actually had two baseball bats in his hand at the time. And I'm fourteen. I probably weighed hundred and thirty pounds, soaking wet. He's a big dude. So When I land on the bed and he just comes over with them two bats, man, I thought I was going to lose my legs right there. And I got, mind you, I got two of my friends sitting in the closet. He doesn't even know they're in there. So after that happened and then he stormed off, um, they ended up coming out. And uh, I was like, I snuck him out the back door and shit. And I seen him a couple days later, like, yo, you okay, like you know, they really felt bad, you know, because they all have their families that are nice families and they have good things going on in their families. They have good jobs. And I'm over here, like dealing with, you know, this as a 12 a year old, like,
1: did you envy that? Did it make you feel like, why am I not good enough to have that?
0: For sure. Oh, for sure. You know, I, I, I loan for that at points and times, you know, because I see that in other people. I'm like, man, I wish I could have that, you know. But it definitely made me rebel a lot, for sure. Yeah. So
1: ninth grade, you drop out. Where does life go for you next?
0: So after I dropped out, God, that would have made me. So I caught a few cases, possession of weed, and I was running around. I was burglarizing houses and stuff like that. By yourself? No, with friends, you know, and, um, ended up catching a few cases. I was on probation, and, uh, then I ended up, while I was on probation, I had another case. I was at a party, and, uh, it was a friend's party, and his parents were away, and, um, you know, everybody was drinking and having a good time. Everybody was hanging out. He left for a little while, and I went into his room and I was hanging out in there with a the girl. And uh, everybody started breaking everything in the house and acting crazy. And a little backstory: I knew that his mom kept her pistol in um in her top drawer because he showed it to me. Kids. So you know where this is going, <laughs> yep. yes. So. Me, at the time, I was drinking, too. Drunk. Everybody's drunk at the party. How old are you? God, I was 15, 16, 16, maybe. Okay. Um, so I go into the room, and I grab the gun, and I come out, and I start waving it in the air and tell everybody to get out. My intentions weren't to hurt anybody, you know. Plus, I'm 16 at the time, young, dumb, drinking. Um, everybody ran out, and uh, the police were called. I ended up not getting arrested then, but I knew that that charge was coming. So we ended up, me, my mom, and my brother, thought it would be a great idea to pack up and uh, move to Florida and run. Did your mom know? Oh, she knew. Oh, wow. But just, like, everything kind of snowball affected, a snowball effect into, you know, up into that point where I'm like, you know, I'm not going to go to jail like I'm going to go on the run. So I go down there. We're in Florida for about almost a year. I was working and living down there with uh, it was my grandmother, my mom and my brother at the time. And. Uh, they end up, you know. Doing their detective work and finding out maybe through mutual friends or I'm not exactly sure, but they found out I was in Florida. And then at the age of 18, they arrested me down there and I had to wait to get extradited back from Florida to Connecticut. So I was down there for maybe about two weeks until they came, picked me up, 18. I had to fly back on a regular commercial shackled, right, with two police going on a plane. I'm 18. i I look really young then too, you know, with no hair on my face, I probably looked maybe like I was 15 at the age of 18. Mm-hmm. You know, and I have people staring at me in the airport. I'm all shackled up, sitting next to them. They try covering it with, like... um a freaking jacket. So
1: it's like the TV shows.
0: Yeah, they flew me right back on a regular are, commercial airplane with everybody. What, what are they wearing?
1: What are they wearing? They were the just dressed in regular the suits or something. Yeah. Were they? I think to they had
0: their badge on. I don't remember if they had their guns
1: on the plane. Okay.
0: This was in now, mind you, this was in 2000.
1: So things were different back then. Yeah.
0: This is a a long time ago. Pre 9/11. Pre 9/ no, this was. I'm sorry. This was 2001. It was after 9/11. Okay. Yep. So but yeah then flying back on a regular commercial plane with you know like
1: what, what was the charge
0: um so for the not unlo- what was it give me a sec here yeah. it's we're going back you know 2001 that was so i had the burglaries i had possession i had a vop and the uh
1: Maybe unauthorized use of a firearm or something like that?
0: Yeah, I forgot exactly what it was, but it was to that extent. And that was a felony? It was a felony, correct, yeah.
1: So they bring you back. What happens?
0: Uh, I go to uh, county jail, and I'm waiting, going back and forth to court there. And I ended up copping out to 10 years, suspended after four, with five years probation for that.
1: They gave a 16-, 17-year-old that long?
0: Well, I caught I caught those cases. Those cases were from when I was 16 and 17. Mm-hmm. But when they brought me back, I was 18. They charged me as an adult. They
1: are able to charge you as an adult even though you committed that?
0: They charged me as an adult, yes. Wow.
1: So what's it like to go to county jail from county jail to court? Like, describe that process from the morning when they, like, say you're going to court that day.
0: Call it bullpen therapy. You, <laughs> Yeah. It sucks. So you get up. Early in the morning, then they sit you in the the rooms with a 100 other people who are going to court for whatever they're going to court for. And you're waiting, you're waiting, you're waiting. Everybody's complaining about their court cases. It sucks. And then you get on the ice cream truck, you go to whatever courthouse you're going to, then you sit there and you wait. And then you're wherever they're... And for where I was, it was below the courthouse. You had to wait. And uh, then they bring you up for the 10 minutes. They may just continue your case because, you know, you're not getting sentenced or you're not, you know, you're going to have to come back anyway. Then you go back downstairs. They feed you bologna and cheese sandwiches.
1: Which aren't that bad. (laughs) No. mm
0: -mm. (laughs) Mm-mm. I cannot. You don't like it. No. Oh,
1: I I love a good you know like bologna cheese. Maybe
0: from bologna out here, but that bologna is no. And back then they used to put these peppercorn in there. Like
1: okay, that's weird. Yeah, very. (laughs) And it
0: had a green tint to it. I I never ate it. So I take the bologna off and I'll eat the cheese with just the the bread. I'm good with that. I
1: need your attention for a minute, folks. This past July, I tried Factor Meals for the first time, and I fell in love. Now I look forward to my Factor meal delivery every week, and as someone who went to prison for lying and is now traumatized by the thought of lying, you could trust me when I say that there has not been one Factor meal that I've tried that I have not enjoyed. This bustling holiday season, you might be looking for nutritious, flavor-filled meals to fuel you on jam-packed days. Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal delivery service, can help you eat well for breakfast. Lunch and dinner with chef prepared dietitian approved ready to eat meals delivered straight to your door you'll save time and stay on track with your healthy lifestyle while tackling all your holiday to-dos this december get factor and enjoy eating well without the hassle simply choose your meals and enjoy fresh flavor-packed meals delivered to your door ready in just two minutes no prep no mess Head to factormeals.com slash lockedin50 and use code LOCKEDIN50 to get 50% off your order. Guys, make sure you use my promo code to get these magnificent savings this holiday season. Not only is it the holiday season, but I've been busy building my own media company and production studio. So the last thing on my mind is meal prepping. So I depend on Factors' fresh, never-frozen meals delivered straight to my door – They're ready in just two minutes, so all you have to do is heat and enjoy. I love seeing that factor meal delivery box waiting for me at my door each and every week. It's the highlight of my day when those meals come in. Use my official promo code to treat yourself to high-quality, delicious meals over the holidays. Choose from 35-plus chef-crafted meals every week that support a healthy lifestyle and meet your meal preferences, whether it's calorie-smart, vegan, and veggie. Protein Plus and more wholesome options. Don't count these meals out until you try them. And let me just warn you, you're going to fall in love. Are you looking for calorie conscious options over the holidays that don't skimp on flavor? Try delicious dietitian approved calorie smart meals with around or less than 500 calories per serving. Or need an extra boost to support your wellness goals and feel your best during the holidays? Try Protein Plus meals with 30 grams of protein or more per serving. Unlike other meals, everyone, these meals fill you up and make you not feel sluggish afterwards, which is a big reason why I love Factor Meals. Head to factormeals.com com slash locked in 50 and use code locked in 50 to get 50% off your order. Thank you again to Factor Meals for sponsoring the Locked in with the InBic podcast. Sit back, relax, and continue enjoying my episode with Brandon Schneider.
0: And you wait for your. Bus back to go back to county, and it's a long day, you know?
1: And you're not just waiting on your case. You're waiting on all the individuals that came Everybody. with
0: you. Everybody, correct, yeah.
1: Do you think they make it that long to get someone to take a plea
0: deal? I mean, probably, you know, because they want to see how long you're going to hold out. Because you know? it's miserable to be waking up every—because they wake you up at what,
1: like 5 in the morning, something?
0: 5, 6, yeah, 6 in the morning, because I used to, at one point in time, I mean, I've been to jail twice, or prison twice, and I had to go to court from Big Cheshire, and they wake you up even earlier, and Big Cheshire's the level 4, so you had to wake up really early, because then you go pick up people from other prisons, and then you go to county to pick up those people, and then you go to your court, and then you go back to county then you got to wait for a bus to take you back to your prison.
1: I remember uh, when I was in, like, holdover, the guys would just say, I'm refusing to go. They would refuse to cuff up. I mean, now, after COVID, they have virtual hearings yeah. where it's a lot easier, probably more cost-effective. For sure. Because they had to have guards transport people every single day, five days a week to court.
0: Yeah. It's a big money expense that they do pretty good on.
1: So you end up taking the plea deal for the you signed for those years?
0: Yeah, I ended up uh, copping out to the ten after 4. And then, because I was in Bridgeport County. um, Man, that place is... (laughs) And back in 2001, 2002, it was... I mean, it's probably still dumpy now, but it was really bad. They had uh, North Wing, which they knocked down and they rebuilt. I'm not sure if you're familiar.
1: No, I've never been in Connecticut prisons.
0: So... um, In Birchport County, they have the main building. Then they have two trailers, which are like Fairmont. They're like low bond. The main building houses, uh, they have two dorms, Memorial 1 and Memorial 2. Then they also have the blocks, which is like high bond. And then they also had North Wing, which was like, it could be either low bond or not super high bond, but like 200,000 or less, I believe. Don't quote me on it because it's been a long time since I've, you know, even been there. But um, I ended up going to North Wing. It was like, I would compare it to, like, a 150-year-old basement. Yes. Like, it was dingy, disgusting, and nasty. And they used to have windows, plastic, that you could open. And you could actually talk to people on the street like that's how old this building was mm-hmm. um and then they had this uh, it was four wings and then they had the basement where you initially start the basement's the worst because you just want to go you know upstairs and be in either a regular cell or it's just it was disgusting <laughs> but
1: wow so what's present what's your like prison experience like
0: <clears throat> so well which time
1: the first time, the first uh, the, for the six six or four
0: four years. So for the four years, um, I ended up after I copped out and got sent uh, up the way to. I went to MyI, and I'm sure you heard MyI before. There was a guy on your podcast before who spoke about it. Yeah, a couple. Gladiator guys. school, and everybody says the same thing. Oh, it's Gladiator school, but really, it's just a bunch of young individuals who had came from either broken homes or. You know, we all were the same, and everybody was just, you know, trying to do their time. You know, yeah, there was fights there, but, I mean.
1: Are they trying to scope you out the first day, like some of the guys have talked about on the show?
0: Oh, yeah, they'll definitely push you. I mean.
1: Did they push you?
0: No. We had, when I first went in, um, I went in late, too. So, like, everybody was just looking out their door. No one really said anything to me. I went in my cell and, you know, talked to my cellie and, you know, no one really fucked with me. So,
1: are you, are you scared at all
0: of what at that time? Yeah. At first, yeah, a little bit, you know, because you hear gladiator school. I'm gonna have to fight. Like, I mean, I've been fighting my whole life, so if I gotta fight somebody, it's not a big deal. Like, whatever.
1: Now, who tells you it's gladiator school? The all the older kids. So the older like kids? No, or? the
0: older, uh, you know, like people who wouldn't go there like all the older inmates
1: and what are they saying welcome to gladiator school
0: no they're like oh when you go there you're gonna be fighting every day i'm like great now i'm gonna have to fight every i'm thinking in the back of my mind but i'm like it can't be much worse than county because you know everybody here there was plenty of fights in county too you know
1: You know, I I give people like you credit because I'm not built like that, or at least I wasn't back then. Like I wasn't going into prison thinking I'm fighting and stuff like that. Right. So for you guys, a lot of the guys that come on the show, they're ready to go.
0: (laughs) You have to be because you don't really know, you know. I mean, you're subjecting yourself to, you know, possibly have to fight. You don't know, you know. People will test you for sure, and if you don't stand your ground and be stern, you know, they're going to notice that. And they're definitely going to take advantage of that. I mean, I'm sure you know that, you know. It's not – if you – like I said, if you're stern and you stand on your own, most of the time no one wants to mess with you anyway. And a lot of times as being a white kid from Milford, you know, you're getting looked at automatically like, who's this little white kid from Milford? Maybe we should push up on him. But then they find out you're not just in there for like – just drugs and robbing or stealing from somebody, you know, you're actually kind of, I wouldn't say about that life, but, like, you'll get it in, you know. And they realize that, and they know who to push and who not to.
1: How are, um, like, younger individuals treated that have, like, a rape charge or a sexual assault charge in prison?
0: So, my experience in Connecticut, they have a jail that is specifically for sex offenders. Really? It's called Brooklyn, yes. And they get treated way better than any of the whole inmate population. They get to order ice cream and pizza and watch movies on the weekends.
1: Why do you think that is?
0: <laughs> I don't know. I mean...
1: I don't think it's like that now, though, is it? Because like, I, I have a friend that he has a friend who is in prison for a, a sexual assault charge and he they're throwing them in with killers and and murders and all that. Depends this. on
0: what level too. Mm-hmm. If you're uh you'll never b- go below a level 3. You cannot be a level 2 inmate in the state of Connecticut. I don't know about any other states, but you can't be a level 2 inmate with a sexual uh assault crime whether it's towards women, children or anything. Your your level will never drop below a 3. Okay. So you'll always stay in a, either a level 3 or level 4 or they have a 5 which I've never been to.
1: Now, this this is early 2000s. What's commissary like back then? What was like the biggest staple item? Because brands have evolved since then.
0: Uh it's pretty much all still the same. I mean, your ramen noodles, your rice, your tuna, your uh uh the beef sausages. But they used to come with a uh, Christmas package that you could buy where there was, like, different items on there that you normally couldn't get. And it was only around Christmas time that you could get it. So everybody would be hyped trying to get, yeah, you know, trying to get money sent home so that they could get the couple extra items.
1: Yeah, and the feds, they give you a whole Christmas bag for free. Yeah, we got. Uh, they walk around like the day before Christmas or two days before, before the the unit staff go on vacation. Yeah, it's a saran wrap bag. They've gotten smaller in recent years, but it's all like it's the Keebler's cookies. It's the hostesses. It's like a nice pack. It's like a forty dollars worth of commissary you're getting for free. For free. Yeah, and then the ones that are religious get it and then sell it to individuals. People will sell their Christmas bag a year in advance. And say, yo, um, give me, you know, like twenty max mackerels, ramen noodles, whatever for that Christmas bag,
0: so that they could get that.
1: Yeah, because like the Muslims won't accept it because it's a it's a, a, the holiday. Um, the Jew Jewish folks won't accept it, so things like that.
0: <laughs> yeah, federal is uh, different from state time, you know for sure. You know, there's not a lot of programming in state time to like, you know. When you reintegrate back into society, um, you know they have the halfway houses, and ultimately, it's really up to you to really turn your life around. You know, I feel, in, which I have. W- so,
1: were you forced into like a GED program or anything?
0: No, I actually went and got my GED um, when when I came home. So after I went to MYI, um, I turned twenty. It was about when I turned twenty. They ship you out because you're old enough now to go to adult prison. I ended up going to uh, a level two prison and um, I did the rest of my time there. And I went to a halfway house where I started working and I was able to study and I got my GED at Central in Bridgeport.
1: I'm surprised they didn't make you take the classes while you are were...
0: When, when, yeah, well, when you're in NYI, they do have school, but like you could, most of the time, the kids were just going there just to go to get out of the cell. Like, you do have to go to school, but, like, you don't have to, you know. Mm-hmm. They don't have to, they can't make you do anything. So
1: so out of those four years, how much time do you actually end up doing on that first sentence?
0: Uh, I did two years.
1: You did two, you come home, what happens next? Uh,
0: I started working at a fish market.
1: A fish market? Yeah. What were you doing at the fish market? <laughs> yeah,
0: cleaning dishes, doing whatever.
1: Where was this, in like Fairfield or something? Uh,
0: no, I was in Trafford. I'm at the halfway house, and I was taking the bus back and forth. You know, I came home. My mom, at the time, she doesn't work. She doesn't, you know, have any... She financially doesn't have it, so I don't have any backing there, really. Um, but I, my uncle, who was kind enough to take me in, you know, I knew I was going to eventually go there after the halfway house. <clears throat> so I'm working at the uh, the fish market and going back and forth. And I realized that instead of taking a bus, I ended up riding my bike back and forth because it was easier and faster, actually, too, because um, the two cities are really close to each other or towns. It's Bridgeport and Stratford. So I would ride my bike through the hood all the way to work every day. This is a little white kid, 18, at the time I was 20, so running back and forth. But um, I started to uh, work again and get my life back together. Um, I was staying with my uncle, and one of my other uncles uh, took me under his wing. He would do side work uh, in construction, and I started working with him and learning to work with my hands, and I took a lot out of that. Uh, I worked with him for probably like, I don't know, a good year. And I ended up, um, we did some plumbing stuff too as well, some HVAC stuff. And I was like, wow, was pretty easy work. I could do this. You know, why not? <clears throat> so I ended up going into plumbing and uh, I was working and doing plumbing then. And uh, I was still on parole. And um, let's see that's when I started dating this girl and we were together. I ended up moving out of my uncle's house and kind of staying with her and her dad. And uh, <clears throat> she she liked to party. We both, I worked, she worked. We, you know, would go out on the weekends and drink, have fun. But uh, she was definitely a firecracker and, you know, being someone that, You know, I kind of like fighting sometimes. So she's also has that same mentality. So we were like pretty toxic together, I would say. And, uh, you know, I got in a few fights with just dudes just because of, you know, she would run her mouth like she was a type. Let me tell you, we'd be walking in the mall and a guy would check her out. She's like, you're not going to say nothing to him. And now I got to say now I feel I got to say something and you know cause a problem when it's really not that serious. There was other times that uh shit would happen and you know I end up got got into one fight at a party because something silly with a guy that's like not even I'm not even trying to fight anybody. I'm just trying to have a good time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So yeah. Then <clears throat> one night after partying, we come back from uh we come back from partying and we're like, well, let's stop and get some food at McDonald's. And uh we're waiting in line, and there's a car ahead of us. So she starts, I'm I'm driving, she's in the passenger seat. She starts beeping my horn at them because they're taking so long. And mind you, it's like one in the morning, you know. So She sticks her head out the window. There was a girl in the driver's seat. She popped her head out the window, and they're arguing back and forth. And I'm like, yo, what are you doing? Like, chill out. It's not that serious. You're starting shit with people for nothing. So they start arguing back and forth, and um, I eventually pull her back in the car. They go, and they park at the end of the McDonald's in the parking lot. I could see them right at the end of the drive-thru. And I'm like, listen, we're just going to get our stuff and we're going to go. I said, don't do anything crazy, please. So the guy at the window, he says, is everything all right? You guys good? I'm like, yeah, everything's fine. We're good. So get our stuff. I go to pull around and just pass them. And as I, I pulling by them, I'm looking in my side view mirror. I see them throw a bottle at my car. Instantly, I'm like, "It's go time." I threw my car in park. I reach in the back. I grab the wrench that I, because I have tools. I hand her a wrench. You
1: hand your girl a wrench. Yep.
0: Well, in my mind, right, I'm thinking they have bottles. They have weapons. Like, you know, that's if it's going to to be that to that extent, then we should be prepared. And no one's going to just throw shit at my car. You know, like, so we stop, <clears throat> we hop out, she runs over, and she starts, and mind you, I have a knife on me, so I pull my, I brandish my knife, and I say, one-on-one, because there was two girls, and there was one guy, I didn't know there was even a guy in the car at the time, I just thought it was two chicks.
1: And this is in the middle of the drive-thru?
0: Well, not in the middle of the drive through. it was in the back, in the parking lot, Um. so... They they start. She runs up. She hits her in the head with the wrench and the wrench at some point gets dropped and they're tussling. They're fighting. I have my knife out. And the guy and other girl clearly see that. Like I have no let them fight. No one's jumping. You know, let that be what it is. And. uh, Someone drove by behind me, and yo, yo, the cops are coming. I'm like, oh, great. So I go over there. They have each other by the hair at this time. And I go over there to grab her to get out of there. Now, I don't know if this guy thought that maybe I was going to do something else. Maybe, you know, try to stab somebody. But that was not my intentions. I'm on parole at the time, mind you. I'm trying to get out of Dodge. Like, let's go. So when I go over there, at some point in time, he picked up the wrench and cracked me over the two girls. Hit me. on the top of my head. And I saw a white flash, and when I came back to, i just seen him, and I stabbed him in his head. I almost, if it was a little farther up, it would have been in his temple, but it was right about here. And it went into his skull, and it lacerated his brain. Um, Yeah, it was pretty serious. But when he stepped back, and he was like, why did you do that? And at the point in time, I didn't know I was leaking from my head. But I knew I got hit with something because I've been in fights. I've been punched. I've been punched by pretty big dudes. You know, I can take a beating. But that was not no punch in the head. I knew it instantaneously. So it's either, you know, fight or flight at that point for me. And I chose to fight back. So we end up getting in the car running getting in the car drive down the street i throw the knife out the window we go to her house and i'm in full panic mode now like great they're you know they're gonna find me what am i gonna do i'm bugging on her so we're at her house and i call one of my friends who still was up he drove by the mcdonald's he said bro it's all taped off right now. There's about twenty cop cars there. I'm like, so no, stop lying to me. He's like, No. I'm like, great. So now I'm thinking in my head, <laughs> hopefully they don't know like somehow link it to me. So I didn't I didn't go to sleep either. And I'm just waiting and I'm waiting, waiting. They end up coming to her house. And you know how they found out that it to come to her house? Because the guy, the manager, who runs that McDonald's knew her by first name. And her name is, I'm not going to put her name out there, obviously, but it was a unique name that, and she's been in some trouble before. So they're like, well, let's go pop over her house and see what's going on there. So they show up, and uh, I'm still leaking from my head at the time. And uh, they took us down to the police station and... uh,
1: Did they, like, swarm the house? Are they treating you like a hostile...
0: It was only a couple uh, cop cars because at the time, they didn't, you know, they didn't have much to go off of. You know, the police were called, somebody got stabbed, and, you know, they didn't really have much to go off of, so they pulled us down to the police station.
1: What do you think you're, um, like, why do you think that your first reaction was to get out of the car and, and fight with them just because they were instigating with you. Why not just drive off? Do you think that goes back to how your your stepfather treated you when he was angry and you and that kind of, like, kicked in with you?
0: I mean, I always had a lot of built-up anger in me, and I like to, you know, sometimes I would like to fight. Like, it was just instilled in me. You know what I mean? Like... Especially when times that I couldn't fight back, you know, like, you know, being 14 years old, someone who's, you know, my stepfather at the time, he's a 250 pound man, 6'5", he's a big dude, you know, like, definitely instilled, you know, and put a lot of fear in me, for sure. So
1: there's a correlation between that, between the two incidents?
0: Yeah, I would say so. I'm for sure, you know.
1: I just think we're quick as a society to judge someone based on their actions in that moment without hearing the backstory and why a person is the way they are. Mm. Not that it's wrong or right or whatever, you know, but it's just that that moment we want to know as individuals what caused you to get out of that car.
0: At the time, like fight or flight, I mean, yeah, I'm sure a lot of, you know, my childhood – Trauma has something to do with it, I'm sure, you know. But.
1: So what do you end up, they charge you, I'm guessing, right at the at the station?
0: No. So they didn't have enough to go off of. <clears throat> so this is a pretty funny story. So I, t- and I just told you what happened, the whole story there. Now, I'm not going to tell the police that, yeah, I stabbed somebody in the head with my own knife. You know, I'm I'm not. I'm still somewhat of a criminal at the time. I'm on parole. (laughs) Uh, So I tell her a story to tell them, you know, yes, we did get out and, you know, you did have a wrench. You hit her. You know, you you guys fought. And when I went to break it up, he hit me. We tussled. I grabbed whatever he had in his hand and I hit him back with it. And that's the story that I gave the police. I was in and out of the interview room with them in probably a half hour. They brought me out and brought her in. And I was sitting around waiting and waiting and waiting. And I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, great. She's telling the whole thing, which sure enough, she did, which, you know, you're getting interrogated by the police. You know, they're going to push you. They're going to want the truth. They're going to want to know. So, They got it out of her. She ended up telling them where the knife was, where I threw it. Um, But they couldn't arrest me right there. So after they interrogated her, they brought me back in, sat me back down. They said, Brandon, you don't want to tell us the the true story? I'm like, I told you my story. He was like, you sure it wasn't a knife? I'm like, yes, I'm sure it wasn't a knife. I said, I told you my story. I'm standing on that, like knowing I'm obviously lying at the time. But... I said, well, if you're not going to arrest me, then I need my keys and my wallet so I could go. He said, you could have your wallet, but we impounded your car. It was used in a, we uh, were taking it as a police investigation. So they ended up taking my car that I just had gotten at the time, too. <laughs> yeah.
1: And that's when they put everything together and they.
0: Well, they they had to let me go because they didn't have, you know, they still had to work their case and. Um, they ended up coming about two weeks, about two weeks after I would call the detective and I'm like, dude, are you guys coming to get me or what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm calling like, I need to know, like, I'm still trying to work a little bit. Are you going to come and get me? Yeah. So they end up coming, getting me and, uh, they arrested me, charged me in assault first. Um, and I was on parole at the time. I made bond. They gave you bonds though? Made bond. I got out, and I had to go turn myself into parole two days later.
1: And then they booked you on parole.
0: Yep. I had to go sit in Big Cheshire, level four, because it was an assault first. It's a uh, Class A or Class B uh, felony. Mm -hmm. So I had to go to a maximum security for six months. Wow. Until my parole was up, and then I had uh, to—they ended up letting me walk out the door from there. But
1: then you're still fighting the other case.
0: As I was going back and forth to court for that case. (laughs) Isn't
1: it crazy how it works in the state system where it's like you can literally be on bond for one case. They can get it revoked or you could – it's just like it's so complicated. When you look at it and like people get arrested multiple times, when you like look in the Connecticut database or whatever, you could see like six different charges. One says bond. One says no bond. Like it's, it's super complicated. Yeah. So, how much time do you end up getting for that?
0: So I end up uh they wanted to give me twelve years, and you know, thank God for my mom because she's been my rock, like I said, and she was the one that posted my bail for that. It cost her seven grand and then, um, for the lawyer, I think we paid almost ten grand. She actually just got a at the time that I got bonded out, she just had gotten a lawsuit or something. I forgot exactly what it was. But she used that money to come and bond her son out, you know. And uh, they ended up wanting to give me 12 flat, but I ended up copping out to 12 suspended after seven with five years probation. How is this not a self-defense case? You know, I could have really tried to push it. But my lawyer told me, he said, you know, Brandon, we we might not win because I have to prove that he actually hit you in the head with a wrench. I'm like, what more proof do you need? I have pictures of my head leaking. I still have those same pictures to this day.
1: But it would have to do with the order of the attack, right? Because then he could argue that he hit you after you stabbed him.
0: He could, yeah, because in back then, I mean, this was in 2005, 2006, I think it was, um, when I called my case. Um, You know, the camera system might not have been as good. You know, could we go based off of that?
1: Looking back on it now, do you wish she took it to trial?
0: I mean, it would change my path in life right now. So, I mean, maybe I would have got out sooner and did something else that might have landed me back there or dead. Um, or did your ex go to prison
1: at all for this or no?
0: No, she got probation.
1: And do you think you would have gotten probation had you not had a record before?
0: No, because it's still an assault first, Okay. which when I copped out, they dropped it to an assault second. Um, But, you know, what about was, the
1: guy that attacked you? Did he go to jail at all?
0: No, they contacted him. And uh, in his statement, it said he wanted me to do 20 years at least.
1: See that that that's the thing that sucks about like having a record is that he automatically becomes the victim mm-hmm. and then you automatically become the fall guy and you guys can both be equally responsible. But because of your record, that, that's held over you. You look worse. Yeah, it makes you look sure. like the the worst guy.
0: Which, you know, I mean, it should have never happened altogether, if we're being honest, you know, because I don't really go out looking for trouble, even though, yes, I do like, you know, I have that rage in me. But I know that, so I limit myself from that stuff. That's why I don't go out to this day. I don't like to be... I don't go out to bars. I don't do any of that stuff.
1: Not nothing ever good comes from those late night things. Oh, no,
0: anything! It's crazy. Drunk
1: drivers. Yeah. Fights at bars. I I don't know how people do the whole the same club every weekend until two in the morning. I I I can't do it. I used to be like that, but yeah, I can't we all do did, it, you know.
0: Yeah. But that's just a phase. Yeah. I feel it was for me, you know. So.
1: So you when when you get out after those six years
0: so i got out in 2012 okay it was you know 11 years ago
1: what were some challenges when you got out
0: man you know what's crazy i went back to the same halfway house (laughs) yep a redo yeah that's my biggest fear redoing what i went through yep went back to the same halfway house i went to uh the same job working at the same fish market they allowed me to go back there and uh you know started my life over again i ended up meeting now who is my wife um we actually had mutual friends and uh we just went out for coffee and that was it we we've been together ever since
1: wow did she were there any challenges of her finding out about your record
0: no she so um she you know we knew each other when we were younger like because we all have like kind of the same friend group um so she knew of me she knew my You know, I've been to jail. She knew even when we started talking, I just came home recently, too. So she was uh, fresh out of a bad relationship. And, uh, you know, we just came together and now we're still here. Were there any
1: challenges from her family, like judging you before maybe even meeting you or anything like that because of your record? I
0: didn't really let uh, her sisters know you know, of my past and being in prison and stuff like that. Uh, Her mother and father, not so much, but, you know, over time, I, you know, relayed some of that information to them so that, you know, I didn't just drop it on them like that. You know, I don't, because it's a touchy subject sometimes. People automatically judge you like, oh, you've been to jail. You've been to prison. You're just, you know, you're nobody. You're nothing. You're, you know, you get that label.
1: Yeah, actions speak louder than words too. In those situations, takes a lot though to show someone that you're different and that you can change.
0: Well, I mean, for me, I've had so many, you know, challenges in my life, and to where I am today, you know, it was hard, man. Because I've come home with not much help, you know, and I've built myself up to then lose it again to then come home to have to rebuild myself again to then you know, it's like how many times am I gonna keep going down this path until I can like really step back and and, and you know limit myself from going back to jail or, you know I ended up having another falling out too where I ended up I ended up hurting my leg really bad and uh, I end up going to uh, a doctor, and they end up prescribing me pain medication. And I partied and stuff, and I love, you know, going out, drinking, smoking weed, and stuff like that. But I never really was addicted, or you know, come to the I have to wake up every day to take drugs. But I ended up in that situation too. Which was another, it's like, man, how many times am I going to fall down?
1: In life, yeah. Um,
0: You know, and it's a lot of it, you know, I hold myself accountable, you know, to this day. But I ended up, uh, you know, pain medication became hard to find. And uh, I ended up having a buddy who was trying to find me some, uh, and he's like, you know, I didn't want to offer you, but I do have some dope and I was sick you know and I'm like all right that kind of spiraled into a whole nother thing too which I had to dig myself back up out of
1: your life's just been a series of up and down and up and down I'm really glad you made it through it though thank you because not a lot of people can make it through it and you just like you have like that aroma to you that like you've been through shit but like you're you could tell when you meet someone the way they carry themselves and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, you have a tough, that tough, edgy look to you. Yeah, but, like, you're just a man that's experienced pain that, and you've worked through it. How do you, um, like, keep it together through those moments where you might want to get um, provoked for something? Like, to keep the anger in. Does that ever really go away or have you worked through that? What's that like?
0: Uh, My outlet has been uh, going to the gym, uh, it was my outlet, even when I was in prison, I would work out, like, anybody that seen me, all the time, you know, that was, that was my thing, you know, like, that's how I take my frustrations out, that's, I go to the gym, and I don't have to think about anything, you know, I just, I go there, and it's like my, my getaway, you know, it's helped me a lot, so, um, but that's one that always keeps me grounded, you know. No. And I just repetition. I just I don't. It's like you know how when you're in jail, you have a uh, a schedule that you have. Yeah. You, you know, it's every day's the same. You wake up, put your slippers on, you go get your coffee. You go. Do, it's the same thing. You wash your clothes on the certain days. You keep that same type of schedule. You know, you keep it basic. That's what I did, and that's what I still do to this day. You know, you can't rush anything. That's for sure. What's life for
1: you what's life like for you now?
0: Oh, it's great. I have my son, he's 4. Um, you know, I work and I mean, everything is good. I I can't complain. I'm just glad that I could wake up every day because I have a lot of friends too that didn't make it. You know, that died from drug overdoses, countless numbers, And especially in my town. It's crazy the amount of people you know, over the course of the last 20 years, I I don't have enough fingers and toes to count on, you know, and it, it just seems like it was a, you know, almost a product of our environment. You know, we, we grew up in broken homes and we had parents that were, you know, partying and maybe even using drugs and, you know, I would have to sometimes we would come home and no one's home and... I'm like, well, mom's not here. She'd be at the bar with her friends. You know, I got to go over there to get some money so that we could go get something to eat or whatever the case may be. Because back in the 90s, you know, it's not like today. We, we were latchkey kids. I don't know if you heard the terminology before. No, not really. no? no. So basically, you come home after school and no one's there. You have your own key to get in and you do your own thing because you took care of your own self. That's that's what a latchkey kid is. You know, you uh you know, you raise your own self because your parents are either working or and plus it was different then, you know. I wouldn't leave my son home by himself <laughs> now, you know.
1: What do you want the, the biggest lesson to be for your son from your story? Like if he watches this, you know, ten years from now, what hmm. what do you want him to learn from you?
0: The dad was never a quitter. <laughs>
1: That's good. I like that. And what about for the people watching? Maybe people that are experiencing the rocky roads of life and going through shit and feel like they can't catch a break and, and getting knocked down all the time. What do you want them to know?
0: <sighs> There's light at the end of the tunnel, even though it's a pinhole. In, in my darkest days, you know, when I didn't want to keep going, you just got to dig deep, and you got to really, really dig deep and... Try and, you know, always better yourself. Find things that make you happy, you know, and just keep striving because no matter what you do, you know, you're always going to feel like it's never enough. You know, you could always be doing better, you know, and if you're stuck in those type of situations, you know, when you're doing good, good comes, you know, doors will open. They do. People like to hear your story. If you've been through a lot of shit, you know, honestly, that's what what makes you who you are, you know? So I would just keep pushing, and you got to—you can't stop, you know?
1: Now, something you brought up earlier is that <clears throat> you're you're starting to get into content and, and getting your story out there. Why are you feeling more comfortable talking about it now after all these years?
0: Well— So, you know, I came home in 2012, and I did time, you know, early 2000s. It's like we didn't have TikTok and all that type of stuff. I do like to help people, you know, because people tell me all the time, that, like, Brandon, you're so strong. I don't know how you kept – how do you keep going? How? Sometimes I don't know. I just go. You know what I mean? I can't stop because there's – friends and family who want me to keep going you know they always have been rooting for me and the people who aren't here you know I think of them you know childhood friends that we were supposed to grow old and you know see each other do good in life
1: that's good man well Brandon thank you for coming on the show today it's been a pleasure talking to you and and thank you for trusting me to share your story uh, what the world will you know we'll plug in your social media in the description um, for people to um, check out your stuff and you know if you need any advice or help yeah definitely yeah no um, people really um, feel a connection with our guests and they're, they, they, they like to go follow them and check out what they're doing and everything
0: yeah yeah people do they they like to hear the comeback story you know I'm that comeback story man I can never go back you know All the shit that I've been through in my life, like, there's no turning back for me now. Like, I work every day, and I strive to be better. That's all I can do.
1: Yeah. No, you're going to make your son proud, man. You really are. And, you know, just keep pushing and, and, and keep being you.